We'll start on the show recording tonight, having just learned the sad news of Queen Elizabeth II's passing. As this is Sunday, you'll be hearing this. We expect that you'll have consumed a lot of news already, and our intention is to carry on with the show without much more discussion. Our thoughts are with the family at the moment. Welcome to the Playing Footsie podcast. My name's Paul and each episode me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. Suckers going up. Welcome everyone to the Playing Footsie Show. Paul's here, Steve's here, and Damien from Damien Talks Money is with us. We've been wanting to have him back on the show for a long time now. I think Damien was the first guest we ever had on the show. Steve, Paul, nod if I'm correct about that. Uh, and it's been way too long uh, since we saw him, but we've got loads of stuff to talk about on this week's show. Uh, there's lots been going on in the world, lots been going on in the UK in particular. Um, but before we get down to all of that, how are you all? Uh, Damien, how's your week been? Good. I can talk about this because I know we're talking about politics and energy next. And I know nothing about that. So, <laughs> yeah, my, my week's been all right from an investing perspective. I mean, as you guys know, index funds. So threw some money into VWRL and then I'll leave it there. And then from a work-based perspective, it's been like giving birth this week, uh, making videos. I filmed the same video three times and deleted it every time because I didn't like it. So... There's a, there's a lot to go off there. Mm-hmm. I've, I've yeah. got a lot to ask you there, Dave. Yeah, yeah, go for um, it. First of all, VWRL. Yeah. I'm probably not going to ask you why VWRL, but yeah. we all know the market is down 20, 30% still. Yeah. What's keeping you in the market and keeping investing? And uh, you said that you just put some more in this week. Yeah. Is that a regular thing or are you buying yeah. a dip or what? The no, hell no. I, I buy whenever I've got the money. I mean, you know, as a long-time investor, I believe that markets trend upwards over time, especially global ones. So from that perspective, it's it's good for me to have as much money in the market as possible. Um, I'm not I'm not really dollar-cost averaging. I'm almost lump sum investing because I'm lumping it in as soon as I've got it, you know. So that's really why I buy in that yeah. manner. And if you look at it, who, who's to know when the best and worst days are? I think the best ever year on record was during World War One which, you know, kind of says a lot in terms of market returns. So I don't, I don't try and time the market at all. I just throw it in there. When you say at all, I'm not, I'm not, I'm pushing out, I'm not pushing you on anything, no, yeah, but you I noticed that, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm not trying to, I try and do the same thing. I try as soon as I've got the money to just lump it in as, as best I can, as soon as I've got it. But I found myself recently just kind of waiting an extra day for some reason to make a second guess on myself or something like that. Has there been anything like that from you or are you like just consistent? Uh, Yeah, like I don't have any of that. What I do have is, um, you know, so March 2020, I had I had some like dry powder and then I, I went like every day into the market as it was falling and like I sit here thinking if I get that kind of opportunity again, I'm going to do very well out of it. So should I be sitting back and holding some cash because the outlook is bleak, isn't it? But then I often think when everyone thinks the outlook's bleak, it it normally goes up after that because the sentiment's as bad as it can get. Definitely. Yeah. So I just, so I just think I'll just get on with it. (laughs) 
Yeah, I've been I've been thinking that today. I've I've watched about forty minutes on uh, Peter Lynch today, and he said exactly the same thing. And I was, and that just made me go, okay, fuck it. I've got a grand in in the bank account. I was saving it for tomorrow. Let's just dump it in today because it doesn't matter, does it? No. If we're not look, looking for it for another thirty years or so, it just doesn't matter. We, a couple of days here or there is just not going to make a difference. And yeah, it's interesting to see that uh, there's a few people like that. And I also like the idea of what you just said there on. If everybody thinks it's coming, is it already priced in? Has the damage already been done? And I looked at the S and P 500, a bit of a, a similarity between the 2008 crash and what's happening right now. And there was this 20 to 30 percent dip first, and then it went along for a few months, and then it did the big crash. So I am, I am looking at that, and I go, oh God, it really could go down another 50 percent further from here. Did I, should I be doing it now? But then on the other hand, I think, well, it's 30% down already. It's, it's, it's quite good. And like you say, you just can't time these, these, uh, these, uh, dips and things. And yeah, it's good to, good to hear that because all I'm getting, and I don't know if you are in, in comments and things like that. All I'm getting is, should I wait? Should I, you know, everything looks really bad. Should I just keep this cash on the, on the sideline or should I be using it? And my answer is, uh, this isn't financial advice, but I just keep smashing it in. And it's good to hear someone else finally saying the same thing. And it's contributions on a total portfolio, right? Like, what are you talking? A few a few hundred quid, maybe a few grand of hopefully a million, maybe, like by the time you retire or whatever. So in the grand scheme of things, you're talking like, oh, I'm going to gain a percent or two either way on a contribution out of hundreds over the lifetime of my investing. It's a different story if you're 50 or 60. It's different, isn't it? But for, it's different for people that have got a massive amount exactly. of money. If you're, if you're sitting on the outside with 50, 60, 70 grand and you don't want to, and you don't want to stick it all in, just have a plan to get it in at some point. It's not going to be, it's probably not going to be optimum. Uh, the, there's a study that shows that, you know, sort of like, I think it's six out of 10 that uh, lump sum investing tends to beat dollar cost averaging. But the key really is for people, you're never going to get optimum. You should always just try and aim to get the money into the market, especially if you're into something like a broad-based uh, index. The only thing that I would sort of caveat that with at the moment is that FX is pretty strong at the moment. So one yeah, of the things that's been prote protecting things like VWRL and, and, and especially VUSA, the S&P, from falling uh, as dramatically as their American peers is that uh, the, pa the pound has uh, weakened quite significantly. And you would hope, um, as British investors, that that won't stick around forever. It, it looks good. It's softening uh, any losses you would have on stocks at the moment. But it is a, a trend that, well, not to predict currency, but you would hope to see you reverse. But on the other hand, it's also making all your US stocks, uh, their earnings work more worthless because they're going to lose stuff against uh, currencies in other countries. And I look at my own stocks where from the UK that mainly sell to the US, and that means their earnings are going to be worth a lot more. Uh, that's how it works in my head anyway. And uh, that's just something that I've been thinking of. And, and that's clearly made a big difference as well to my portfolio. There's a couple of stocks that are... They're up quite heavily because their main main uh, main um, customer is people in the US, which is very interesting. But yeah, I think overall, FX is saving most of us, right? That, yeah. Especially in if you're trading two or two, you see that ticker. It's saving most of us at the minute. I'm enjoying having four people on this show, by the way. Seven minutes. I haven't had to say anything yet. Uh, I just sat there <laughs> quietly being confused by something Damien said, actually, which was 
Um, I think of the four of us here, Steve is the only one who's not yet a dad. Uh, that's his business, what he plans on doing in the future. But he said, uh, Damien said his week this week had been like giving birth with videos. I have only been a dad very recently and it's still quite vivid in my mind being there at the birth. But I don't remember there being a bit where you get to delete the first three incarnations if you're not happy with them and then finally settle on one that you uh, kind of like the look of. <laughs> my week's been pretty good. Um, I have finally handed back the keys to the house I used to rent. Uh, I'm now living in a, a kind of with a friend while we sort out our move and what we're doing next and so on. Um, and I was just chatting to the landlord while we were handing back keys and so on. And he was telling me he reckoned the house that um, he was thinking of selling it. And he reckoned he might have got around 500,000 um, a couple of months ago when the sort of housing market was a little bit higher than it is at the moment where we are. And that struck me as kind of odd, actually, because what we were paying uh, between my wife and I in rent was about... 1250 uh, 1250 sorry uh, a month and when i think about that as if you have something that is worth 500,000 at market value i kind of think 1250 a month is a pretty lousy return uh, as a sort of buy to let type thing i mean it works out at about 3% a year knock off some fees for that knock off some stuff you have to do to the property factor in the fact you actually have to work for it and i don't know i mean i look at kind of at least some fairly basic reits and think uh, wouldn't it be just much easier to just smash it all into some collection of those uh, rather than if, running buy to lets? As if you've just turned this to reinvesting versus uh, um, like like property investing, because I, I, that's been on my mind a lot recently. Because I'm thinking about getting getting properties. I'm thinking about buying abroad again and things like that. And I'm looking at it, going, I don't think the value's there. I don't think. The, the hassle versus return. And I think it's a bit higher than you think. The the 3% return, I mean, any of those uh, housing, investing, YouTuber, stock pe uh, people that are out there that think you can get a 12, 15% return on housing, I think that's a, that's a tough one, right? I, I don't think, I think people are being sold the dream there, but 8% is a, is a figure that I hear a lot for, for property investing. Um, but like you say, 3% cash flow there isn't, isn't that brilliant once you can, when you can get really good REITs now for 3%, 4%, particularly in America, you can get 4% REITs right now for doing absolutely nothing. Right. And that's the, you still get the property appreciation in that as well, because the stock price goes up. So interesting. Uh, thing that you said there because i've been looking quite heavily at that recently cheap leverage though right that's that's one thing with a purchase of a buy to let you get you get access to cheap debt which you can't on yep. the re i guess so that that is the the pull i would say but yeah from a yield perspective well, the, the, re, really the REIT gets the, the has had the, yeah the REITs had the cheap leverage that's where yeah. the cheap that's why returns on REITs right now are doing so well because they've they've had it you basically as, as far as i can tell you're doing the same thing but uh you're not really losing out you're paying fees to somebody but again contractors and things like that you're paying fees to everybody all the time it's a, it's a really interesting one and i've been trying to do the numbers on this recently because like I said, do I really want to buy a new house, do it up and then, and then worry about the price appreciation or worry about the fact. So the thing that's, the thing that's really got us thinking about it is because I'm considering moving abroad and getting a house abroad and keeping my house here. But there's been two quite well publicized stories recently of people who've lived abroad, bought a house abroad or rented abroad. And then after three years, they've come back and they've, they've come back 
uh, after telling their estate agent to kick the people out and the, and the people are still in there and they're refusing to leave. So their whole family has turned up with their bags packed to their front door and found out that they've got nowhere to live. So that was something that I've, that I've been considering recently. And there's like two or three horror stories, which are quite, uh, have been quite well publicized recently. So are you doing this to avoid your equity loan bubble that you owe the government, Paul? <laughs> I could do with getting out of help to buy. Yeah. I could, are you really, going to do I could really do without getting out, getting out of help to buy. <laughs> so I've got, I've got a story about a property nightmare. If you, I used to sell investment properties in Manchester, like off plan flats. I don't know how PC or not. I'll keep it clean. But basically, um, we, we, that this Saudi guy bought a load of flats, came over to the UK and they buy that the whole of Manchester was built on Arab and Chinese money, essentially. So occasionally they would come over and go, I want to see the flats. So we go, okay, it's tenanted. We take him to the flat. We arrange it 24 hours notice, all of that knock on the door. And you just hear a load of shuffling inside. Like someone's cleaning up basically bang on the door again, bang on the door. This guy opens the door, sticks his head around the door and goes, you can't come in. And she lands the door in her face. And we've got keys, so we can. So I stick the keys in, start to open it. He opens it, he's like, you cannot come in here. And I just see this woman run naked in what looked like bondage gear behind him, like just across the, the back. And I was like, look, we've, we've got to come in. We have to, we've got permission. This guy's flown from Saudi. He's like, you can only go in the kitchen. We went in the kitchen, there's a sex swing in the kitchen, just bolted to the ceiling. So I was like to the guy, I was like, mate, if this is the only room you're going to let us in, what the hell is going on in that lounge? He's like, look, mate, you please don't go in that room. So yeah, we left, but yeah, so. <laughs> he's getting his rent. <laughs> he's getting his rent. But yeah, that, well, that's not haram, is it? Sounds it's like everyone funny. was. Yeah, the guy was horrified. He wasn't, he wasn't happy about it. Jesus. Sex right, swing in the kitchen. Good story, good story. Um, <laughs> he, was, he was horrified, but he came next week to look at the flat again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, my week uh, has been pretty flat, really. I think just working a lot, and um, uh, yeah, and and the the market's been flat as far as I can tell. Oh no, it's gone up. Uh, the yeah, no, the, share, the the price of my shares has definitely gone up, and it's been quite nice. But I I just see. I see it as a, another horizon that the other side of it is just going to dip again. Um, uh, st still worried, still putting money in blindly and uh, hoping that, that, <laughs> that it all pays off. But this, uh, uh, Steve D, you done yours yet? Stocks wise, uh, my, my passive portfolio, which is the Blitzscalers one, which has all the uh, very oh, expensive tech companies in it, that's up 3% this week. Uh, my portfolio, which I carefully pick and studiously research and uh, all that jazz, is down, uh, sorry, is only up about half a percent. So, um, yeah, passive income for the win. Uh, weeks wise, uh, I don't know, it feels like it's been a busy week. I don't really feel like I've, had, I've done anything. I was actually off. Monday and Tuesday, as it was my wife's birthday, and she didn't oh. want to do anything, so we just sat in because it rained all day. Um, that that's been my week. Wow. Oh, I also put in. Um, I put like a couple of hundred into Ethereum this week. I bet that probably surprises a few people here uh, that we're still buying crypto. Oh, that's so 2020 um, buying crypto. But uh, I think while people are not really talking about it, I'm, I'm just having a, a little moosh in. I think. So that was that was another part of the week. So, what are we talking about this week? I've totally uh, hang on, Paul. Paul some, someone's at least got to pretend to be interested in Steve's week, haven't we? Um, Steve, tell me about the rain. 
<laughs> uh, it was wet. It was wet, and it came from the sky. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, that one, huh? <laughs> yeah, it was that okay. rain. Oh, fair enough. Uh, oh. What, what are we talking about this week on the podcast? I've totally forgotten. <laughs> we have a new prime minister, Paul. Um, her oh, name is do. Liz Cross, mm. and she likes um, pork markets. There you go. She she does very much. Um, this is the kind of culmination of the Conservative leadership. Uh, I thought she was a Lib Dem. Trust won the kind of final vote amongst the members over. Mm. <laughs> she was a Lib Dem, um, over Rishi Sunak. Uh, I kind of felt weirdly about watching this sort of develop because I'm not going to get into partly political anything's and, and my own personal views on this stuff at the moment. But the outcome of that, who won out of Liz Truss, Rishi Sunak, was unlikely to change the direction that I vote at the next general election. Um, it's not the case that I would have voted for one and wouldn't vote for the other. So there was an element of thinking, look, this doesn't matter much to me. But then a, a kind of bigger part of me thought... Well, I really should pay attention because this is the prime minister, uh, basically. This is now who's going to be in charge of the entire damn country. And whether or not I like it, that really ought to matter uh, to me one way or another. Um, but we've got Liz Truss, uh, who I think was kind of Bookie's favourite by the end, although not Bookie's favourite kind of in the middle of all of this. Uh, and she's decided to start off by tackling what appears to be the big issue of the day, which is energy bills, uh, more or less. So... Ofgem have recently suggested that the energy cap, so the amount that uh, your electricity or gas provider is allowed to charge you per unit of energy, uh, is going to go up in a way that would have increased the average energy bill to about three and a half grand a year. Liz Trust says it can only go up to two and a half grand a year, I think, and the difference is going to be made up by having energy providers take on massive loans to cover the difference um, because they have to buy it off of uh, producers, effectively. Um, that's the kind of big story for the moment. There's lots of bits and stuff to dig into that, but well, there's too many people on my screen at the moment. Who thought what about that? With it, like talking about investments and saving money and things like that, I don't feel like I can. I can influence the system to change things for myself. So I do my best to live as best I can within the system that I'm given. Uh, and I haven't really voted now for probably two elections, two or three elections. I almost got forced to probably last election, but I just, I, it's, it's like, it's the South Park douche and a turd. I can't really decide between the two. So just let what, ha what happens happen. Um, the interesting thing was that Putin said that, the election for Liz Truss was undemocratic. Do you feel that way? Because I actually feel that it was quite I mean, de wow. democratic. But yeah, and I know this, that's a lot to unpack, right? So he <laughs> says it was undemocratic because the Tory party gets to choose her. But I think that, you know, we as a country chose the Tory party, or at least that's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to choose the big yellow man. We're supposed to choose the actual party that we think is going to do, and particularly your own personal constituency. You're supposed to choose, your, that person is going to have a lot of effect over you and that, and is supposed to deliver your voice to the, to parliament. So they, I believe they should get to choose the new leader. But I imagine that's not a popular opinion right now. Steve, what do you think <laughs> about this? <laughs> uh, look, so last week we called for help. I think uh, we knew help was coming. I think uh, we said that it would suck if it didn't, and it's good that it has come. Uh, I think that the plan is about as good as we could have hoped for. Uh, essentially, if you take your winter bill um, last winter and double it, that's essentially what you were going to pay. You were going to triple it. 
Um, a lot of the smaller smaller terraced houses and flats and things like that, it's not going to be as dramatic. The bigger your house is, the more you use, uh, the more you're going to pay. Uh, I think that's that's fair enough. I think uh, who could argue? I don't think we could potentially argue with that. There's going to be a couple of subsidies coming in. We're still getting that 400 quid discount um, that we were promised under Rishi. Uh, you get the extra 326 if you're on a low, if you're in a low income household. Uh, the other good bit of news that was um, announced was after saved saved Martin Lewis's bacon because he's been putting everybody into fixed income deals at about three and a half grand, and uh, <laughs> they're now allowing you to leave your fixed deal uh, if you're over the cap. So you can leave it penalty free and rejoin the cap pricing, which is good for some people because uh, they would have been snookered otherwise. Um, in terms of Liz Trust, I mean, do I think it's Democrat? Well, eighty-three thousand people voting who run a country or whatever is one hundred twenty thousand people voting. That doesn't sound very democratic. But as Paul says, you know, you're voting for um, you're voting for a, a, a Tory to to lead for four years or, or two years or whenever they fancy calling another general election within that period. Um, and you know you you're not you shouldn't vote for the man at the top. It does become uh, politics of person rather than politics of party every single time we get to um, any kind of any kind of election. Um, but uh, I mean I don't really care. It's, it's, it's still blue. It's still blue. It's same. Still still the same person. Damien. Yeah, so I, I tend to like with with Paul here in the terms of I don't think I have much influence over it, and I don't think it affects me day to day in the sense of the things I do are sitting here and edit, and I don't really think the person in charge of the party will, will impact me. But I do think something needed to happen, and I'm glad to see it has. And I know there's a lot of conversation about there's going to be a big bill for taxpayers going forward that we pay over decades, but in reality, the the, the current situation was a lot grimmer and needed to be fixed. So that is a good. That is good. What I want to kind of put to the group is, so the issue is demand. We're now essentially keeping demand high because people will not be incentivized to reduce their bills as much. There's a lot of people maybe that are middle class and higher that are going to be like, well, I can afford that, that you know, kick the heating on, it's fine. Whereas they might have been incentivized to cut back a bit if they were facing eight grand bills, not two or three or whatever. Do we think the fracking is going to, increase supply enough to, to sort that out? Because that seems to be the direction that we're going. It's the difference between whether it was going to be three and a half grand or two and a half grand per low income household. And if it was, I, I'm, an, I would be under the impression that three and a half grand would have killed people and two and a half grand isn't going to kill that many people now. And I'm still wondering if, demand isn't going to be that high i think it still might reduce demand i mean it's definitely not in my house and don't think three and a half gram would have reduced that in my house either it would it would definitely make me start shouting put a fucking jumper on but it probably wouldn't um yeah it probably wouldn't have made that difference and, and i will still be doing that over winter well in fact my plan is to just go find some sun over winter and just disappear there and not have to worry about energy bills like that at all. But it, it's yeah, it's it's very interesting because I, I think it I think it will reduce a little bit. I think demand will reduce a little bit. Fracking wise, um, I I think I must be so miseducated about fracking because I'm actually quite okay with it. Uh, I've seen the the people in Texas where the fire was coming out of their, their taps. I, I don't mind a little bit of fire coming out of my tap. I'll, I'll be okay with that. Um, if, if it leads to lower energy bills. <laughs> um, 
I, I, if I'm honest, I must be a little bit miseducated educated about it because I, I think desperate times call for desperate measures, and maybe <clears> we should open up the energy. I guess I can go quickly on this stuff because fracking is a tricky issue for me to have an opinion on. I don't think anyone's proposing to sort of frack the centre of Oxford, uh, particularly, which is kind of where <laughs> I live. So it's very easy for me to uh, make comments like sort of drastic times call for drastic measures. I mean, they're kind of my drastic times and other people's drastic measures. I guess the one practical thing I would sort of suggest here is that um, if anyone hears Paul's advice to put a fucking hoodie on, we do have a line of hoodies that are available uh, that Paul is currently modelling at the Playing Footsie um, shop over at playingfootsie.tmail.com. So if you buy some hoodies and keep yourselves warm, we can probably put our heating on for another hour or so. Sorry, Steve. Tell me about fracking. So, yeah, look, I've got that bad of water pressure here that I, I would welcome a bit of fire in my taps because I might get some fucking <laughs> hot water. Um, but fracking is actually is actually happening in my area, so... Um, I think it's one of those things where everybody will be in favour of fracking until it happens on the doorstep. You hear about all the, the uh, trembling walls and things like that. Well, I've got a fully rendered house that will literally fall to bits if, it, if the walls start trembling. So, uh, yeah, I, I, look, I'm not massively in favour of fracking because here's two reasons. Because it doesn't solve the problem now. This isn't an emergency where, okay, we're just going to whip out into the field and frack some gas. That doesn't happen. We've not had any planning applications approved for fracking for a long time. It's essentially been banned. So has onshore wind, which is another random thing that they just randomly banned. But that's not going to solve the problem because what happens is now you're going to go through a planning, you're going to go through permitting, you're going to go through approval, you're going to go dig sites, you've got to go find the actual the, the gas that you want to uh, frack. Then you've got to get a permit to actually frack the gas. You've got to prove that there's enough there. And you know what? That could be years now. That could be years before we actually get any gas. I mean, do, do we want to be a country that, that fracks gas when we don't actually need to frack gas? Or do we want to be a, a country that's running on, you know, solar, wind renewables, nuclear, whatever clean energy is the clean energy of the day? Do you see what I mean? Like, I don't see the point in fracking because it doesn't, it feels like this has just been shoehorned in there because some lobbyist has got in, in an EIG ear and said, oh, I really would like to frack something and you could probably get this out now. I've been saying desperate times for desperate measures. But it doesn't actually solve anything. It just, it solves nothing. Uh, yeah, just while you were talking there, I did look up uh, fracking sites in the UK, and uh, my my house is right on a fracking site, so uh, now I'm against it. <laughs> uh, but I do believe that um, I do believe that it's, it's it's the lag time, isn't it? So the infrastructure that's going to have to be built to do the fracking is arguably, uh, well, not arguably, it will be quicker than than nuclear energy but it's still going to be something like 10 to 15 years as opposed to 20 years so we we really should just get on with it and start building the proper infrastructure that we want to live with forever a kind of in, uh, an important sort of thing that we have over uh, sort of the US. The big thing for renewables over that side of the uh, pond seems to me, as far as I can tell, to be that the best sites for wind generation are all in the middle of the country and most people don't live there. They live on the edge of the country. So you need to kind of build massive great transmission lines that will get your wind from your wind turbine to where people's houses are and stuff. And our country ain't that big uh, by comparison. So I sort of feel like infrastructure ought to be kind of easier on this. But... Um, I guess this feels like this game that we had last time Damien was on the show. None of us knows the answer to this question about fracking. Damien, what's the answer? I have no idea. Um, this is what I was asking. When it, when it comes to the renewables, though, <laughs> when it comes to the if I, if I had a chance to sound smart, I wouldn't worry about it. But it, it, when it comes to the renewables, I hear it's more about storage than it is about 
building turbines, right? So we, we don't have the battery storage or the technology to do so. We actually pay people to t keep their wind turbines off. We subsidize them because it's, you know, we don't have the capacity that, to take yeah. that. I mean, they spin at the wrong time, right? So they, they spin when it's windy. We don't need it. We need a, the best, the most efficient way is a, a water, water battery, which is where you move water up a hill and then drop it throughout the day. They, they look at that. But again, infrastructure you need to build. So it's, it's batteries. But yeah, uh, what is a short-term solution? But, How do we solve supply? Well, none of these problems are insurmountable, are they? So no. none of them are insurmountable. But it's just if you've got it's it's about political will, isn't it? And that's the thing we don't seem to have any political will to build any lasting lasting infrastructure. One of the reasons offshore winds banned, I, I do know the reason. I was playing coy last time, is that they every twenty-five years they set on fire. And that was proven to me um, the other week when I can see from my office window there's a giant wind turbine I've complained about it many times because the sun sets behind it. So as the turbine blades go by, you just get sun on, sun off, sun on, sun off, sun on, sun off. So I have to wear sunglasses at work in the summer. But the thing's set on fire. Um, and, uh, yeah, it nearly bent down the whole uh, industrialist. Um, feel free to Google uh, whole wind turbine fire and you will you will see it uh, it's quite interesting that they're flying drones around it at the moment to try and figure out but it, it literally looks like a diesel engine on the top of a big pole with some fan blades around it which is a conspiracy theory if you want to hear it um but yeah <laughs> you, I, think, I, you think it's a big diesel in that round like. yeah <laughs> The day, it's yeah, it's, it's the it's the petrol company selling us more things we don't need. Um, but yeah, so I digress. I think it's all about political will, uh, and at the moment, nobody seems to have any long term fixes. And, and politicians aren't incentivized to have long term fixes because they're only they're only in power for four years, so they just do the things yeah. that they can do within that, that 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 structure. And the biggest point of that is the one we made just off there uh, that you know Blair and Brown were anti nuclear until the end of their. Um, until the end of their reign, they proposed a nuclear solution, and the um, Cameron and Osborne tore it down because they uh, said that we wouldn't have any nuclear power plants working until 2021. Well, wouldn't we have needed that? Yeah, that's, that they'd be coming online right now, which, well, give, give some delays. They'd be coming on about right now, maybe end of the year, something like that. Um, but but then again, HS2 exists as well, which seems to be no one wants that in the uh, in in the UK. As far as I can tell, no one wants it in the UK. I've never spoke to somebody who said, "Oh, I'd love to get to London half an hour quicker." BBC execs, just BBC execs. That's it. The only people I know are like people who work on <laughs> media. City. The people who work on Media City who just want to cut down their commute to London, like by half an hour, or whatever. But everyone else, it's like two hour yeah. train to London from Manchester. Two hours is fine. I'm not going to London enough to need it any quicker than that. Two hours is fine for me. Yeah, it's the, it's the majority of people say, "Yeah, it's just all the media people." Yeah. It's another conspiracy. <laughs> oh, we are getting so po political. They're, conspiracy they're vanity projects, today. so are they? They're, they're vanity projects. We we desperately need all of our rail infrastructure um, upgrading, but instead of doing that, we build a vanity project to get to Manchester, uh, Manchester to London a bit quicker. It just doesn't seem to make it doesn't make any sense. But you know, I feel like Should we actually 12. talk about investing. We've had twelve years sure. of that. <laughs> Here's what this has to do with stocks, Paul. 
Um, or something that I read that it had to do with stocks. Uh, I was reading that quite a few economists think this is going to bring inflation down in the UK. So if you're interested in the direction that markets have been going in lately, they've been going downwards. Why? Because interest rates have been going up. Why? Because inflation's too high. Uh, for more details on this, see the last 82 episodes of this podcast. Um, but broadly speaking, the idea that this might bring inflation down is something that was causing people some sort of encouragement and the idea that Bank of England can then hike rates slower. Um, and therefore that stocks will fare better or stock prices will fare better. Um, I do not believe this to be correct, um, but I'm interested in what anyone else thinks. Yeah, interesting that for me. Uh, Andrew Bailey actually came out today and said that he thought it would bring inflation down, and I think it will bring inflation down by the virtue that energy bills make up some portion of inflation. If you make them less yeah. than what the, the rates are planned so it's, going to... So it's a core the, CPI kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, so then inflation rates are going to go down. I think he, he wasn't particularly lying there. Um, I think there is... I think the Bank of England are still trying to talk inflation down rather than having real action about it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, it's an interesting one. I... I I think what we're doing is what we said last last uh, week is essentially nobody seems to be addressing the fact that interest rates need to go higher faster and everybody is just kicking the can down the road and this policy, uh, whilst necessary to keep people warm in the winter, it is just another policy that kicks the can down the road and I think eventually what the people in power are hoping to do is they kick the can into the opposition party and say, oh look, they did it. Yeah. So your ambition is to kind of get yourself out of power and, and then leave a massive problem for the other side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because what? then in four years' time, you're back in and they won't be trusted with the economy and you'll be like, they destroyed it. Yeah. So that's and what this trust is like, for. You... <laughs> well, they, they do... Well, that that was what freaking What's-A-Face was for. The the angry, angry bird. What was her name? Theresa May. Theresa May. Theresa May, God. The angry bird. <laughs> you just have that. You just have that thing. Uh, she just looks like a. She just looks like an angry, angry bird defending a nest, and she dances like it as well. But um, the, she was supposed to be a scapegoat, right? She was supposed to be the the exiting prime minister. She was supposed to like have caused all the problems for the, for the next one, and 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 like they they expected that Labour would win the next one, and uh, and for some reason they didn't, and and that was that was a big big old problem. Uh, and and they've been left in the state that they're that they're in now. It was, uh, do, why are we talking about politics so much today? This is supposed to be <laughs> well, like I tried to make it talk no... about stocks. <laughs> yeah, I know, definitely. Then you started you, talking about in, Angry Birds. Do you know any nuclear stocks? And have you have you ever looked at it? And do you think it's something that'd be interested in investing in? No, uh, I don't think you do. I've, yeah, no, I've the only just... one I was thinking was, is Drax a nuclear stock? I think Drax is on the FTSE. That's uh, one the of the things. has got element was... of it. And I suppose Total Total is an oil stock, but it lent very heavily towards nuclear at some yeah, point. And there is, um, there is a Total uranium Total ETF as well that is uh, you could use to track uh, a, a uranium-based index as well. I've been reading a book about um, uh, uranium and nuclear power. Apparently, we've got a different... A different uh, chemical that we're going to use that's even better than uranium. It's just a, a little bit more unstable uh, whilst you're using it, but actually disposal of it is better as well. And you only need a tiny fraction of it to uh, to to power the economy. I wish I knew what it was because this is a pointless segment without it. That I'm going to have to that's cut That's very out. interesting. It's very interesting <laughs> that you said that because it's like it's like oh right okay. Um, here you go. Here's a new thing. It's way more powerful and it's going to be way more efficient, but might explode a little bit. Just every now and then, might just explode. A, but that's a little nuclear, bit. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the problem, I guess. It's a, it's a little bit 
weird. Good Damien, for power, bit explodey. Yeah, Damien, are you into nuclear at all? I don't mean like stocks or anything, but are you against it? You're for it? What What do you think? No, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty for it in a way because I think a lot of the the issues that we had were built in a, were from power stations that were built quite a long time ago. So they they worked in a different way. I watched that thing on Bill Gates talking about you know he he looked at developing good nuclear power plants and I, I understand that he'd done quite a good job of it. I mean more conspiracies, if you will, I guess with with mentioning his name. But I'm all for it. It seems pretty clean to me. Like you know, I, I don't know. It would solve a lot of problems. In general, I think we've had quite a few nuclear-ish disasters in the past 10 years, which have been uh, sort of, uh, they've been they've been avoided because of quite good safety features that have been going on now. Um, so Fukushima that had a, had uh, earthquakes and things like that. And it's it's been found that they've they've leaked nothing into, they've, they've made no contamination. So it's actually quite... Uh, quite interesting that it's a lot safer now. Uh, I feel a lot safer by that, and I'd be very interested in nuclear coming forward. And I think uh, I think there's a big shift in in the mood towards nuclear, especially as um, the world believes it's a lot safer now. There's a documentary on Netflix at the moment about nuclear energy in America. It's, I think it's called uh, I think Chernobyl. It's called no, I think it's called Meltdown. Uh, it's about Three Mile Island. Anyway, they, they had a, a, a large uh, nuclear plant there. This was in the very early days of, of American um, um, involvement in nuclear, and their safety standards were quite poor, and the regulator was possibly even worse. Um, but they, they do talk quite, uh, quite sort of widely over there that even after everything went wrong, they still managed to contain quite a, a large amount of the actual you know the actual the, the spill out from the from the problem so i think we're a lot further on than than that documentary now hopefully the you know we'd need a prudent regulator to make sure that everything was safe and kept up the standard but look, look i'd be in favor of nuclear if it if um if it was a chance for us to get clean. I, I think it's the easiest way for us to get to clean energy if you want to get to net zero nuclear's got to be involved in uh, in that process lovely stuff let's move on to Let's move on to pure investments now, because uh, we've we've talked way too much about political stuff for one episode. This will be our only political episode. Uh, but we, Damien did want to talk about worst investments and wanted to call us on our on our worst investments. And I think this is a really good thing to discuss because we all say, you know, we all talk about our best investments uh, wherever we can, and we, we we lean towards that bias. So Damien can start out. Okay. Have you made any big bad investments in the past, and what what was it? Yeah, I made I made a few. Um, I think you know a bit of context. As an investor, I started with index funds, and I thought as I gain knowledge, I will move more into individual companies, and I'll do well at that. As I've developed, I feel like I've actually gone back the other way and thought, yeah, no, leave that alone. So. For me, the yeah. the bad decisions I've made have always come from me liking a product, um, either through using it or thinking it was innovative and just piling in. So one example, there's two examples really. One where I actually used the service all the time and thought, oh my God, this is groundbreaking. How is everyone not on this? And that was Fiverr, but that was post-dip. I thought, oh, it's crashed, I'll get in. It kept going. And then um, bid, bid stack as well, which was just one where I thought, oh, this is quite... Um, quite an interesting piece of technology they seem to be bringing on lots of clients etc etc uh it did well initially and then tanked it was growth stock basically wasn't it so 
but that's all based on the price, isn't it, so far? I think we, we would have to look a lot closer at the businesses, especially Fiverr. Interesting one. I mean, Fiverr. For, for Fiverr. I think, Steve, do you quite cool. like Fiverr? Yeah, I still quite like Fiverr. Mm. I think it did uh, got quite a, quite a way ahead of itself um, in the... Um, in the coronavirus i actually made some decent money on fiverr on the way up and then probably put it into the blitzscale pie and, and lost it on the way down as well but i've been averaging down on fiverr i don't think it's a particularly expensive company at the moment it's um i think it's it's pretty much profitable it's generating free cash flow uh, it could it's one of those companies that could be possible when whenever it wanted to i mean it's essentially a website um so uh, you know the overheads on it shouldn't be too large um, you know, I think that has a semi, semi-promising future. It's actually, I think it's one of the Motlyful rule breakers as well. So, um, you know, he has a decent track record of picking that kind of stock at that kind of size. So, uh, yeah, I, I still like Fiverr. I like it more than Upwork as well. Yeah, I like it more than Upwork. I don't think there's anything wrong with choosing a stock because of your, like, because you like the product. I mean, I was, again, watching Peter Lynch today, that's one of his main rules. He, he goes, if you're using a product and you think no one's seen this yet, you have an advantage there to see what's, see what's going. I suppose, though, on the other hand, Peter Lynch also does say, what you're doing, going and buying a ridiculously high P business yeah. Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, and things like that as well. So you, you've got to... You've got to segregate it out. You've got to go, okay, no one's seen this product and, and I'm using it a lot. I think I do that. I did that with like Microsoft and Google as well. When Google's P started to come down, that was when I went, I, I am balls deep in the in the Google system here. I, everything in my house is Google. I use Google Docs all the time. Everything is, is to do with that. I need to invest in this at, at a reasonable PE, I suppose. But I think circle of competence is, is massive, right? And to talk about Bidstack, now, Bitstack is is in my. I, I, call, uh, I shouldn't really call it the joke portfolio, but it, it, it's like a it's like a nothing portfolio where I was putting a lot of money into stocks that people were randomly telling me on the street um, to to invest in. And Bitstack was one of them. I think it was on this channel where this guy was. Uh, I can't remember him. I haven't seen any videos from him ever since. But he, he mentioned it was he was like this is a hundred bagger and I was like okay funky finance that means I've got to put in but I did learn what's that funky finance was it funky finance you wear like an afro and like funky finance oh, right okay I, I bet it was funky finance <laughs> was the channel that you watched it on but yeah sorry carry on oh right okay fair enough yeah well yeah I, I honestly have no idea but um yeah I, I must admit. As the price changed, and I looked at more business, and I'll tell you what 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 changes for me to put to put a little bit more in as the as the price went down was uh, I was watching people play games uh, on their phone and things, and I started to see their product in these games, and I thought, huh, there there really is something here. This is this is has real use now, and I think there is a genuine thing. But obviously, again, PE was ridiculously high. Run rate on Bidstack is uh, quite a short uh, runway of cash, and they continue to like, dilute massively. There's there's loads of problems with all that sort of thing. Um, so the other side of it didn't really fit in. But I, I see, you know, uh, from Peter Lynch's point of view, I see nothing wrong with with uh, circular competence. Do you still own those two stocks? Yeah, I do. So yes, yeah, I do. I think it, it was pricing right. It was just buying at the wrong time. Um, I mean, also as well with Bidstack, I probably should have sold because it's shot up. 
um, quite quickly and I should have been like, yeah, you know, this irrational exuberance there, cash out and then come back in. And, but I didn't, and it just tanked afterwards with Fiverr. I liked the fact that, you know, as a creator, essentially, if I look to get a branding for a logo, et cetera, in the UK, I'm paying a grand on there. I can pay 20 quid to a, an Indian bloke and get the same kind of quality. And if you look at their business, their marketing costs, once they acquire a customer, the customers stay with them and spend a lot of money. And I, I am doing that. I, I, I was acquired through their marketing and I now spend quite a lot of money on that, that site, you know? And so I could see, I see, I, I was a textbook customer going through it and that's why I bought in. I bought because the price had dropped probably 50% from its high. So I was just like, right, now's the time. And it just kept going. I think it was as low as 80% off the, the all time high at one point. So I took a haircut there. I'm not as bad as some people. I know people were loving it at, at all time highs, but I thought it was just a good time to get in as it crashed. With bid stack, yeah, it just doesn't seem to <laughs> ever recover. Um, the the uh, my my experience of Fiverr, what um, was interesting because I went on as a creator and I tried to get jobs, uh, editing people's wedding photos, uh, you know, offering like a service to it. I got zero zero people applied to to look at my stuff and i'm not that bad so i i do wonder if there's a pricing issue there and it it kind of lacks pricing power because of uh, lacks the ability to uh maybe maybe it's just the western world can't keep up with the prices because um like you say they're they're outsourcing it to to poorer countries who can do the same job which is I mean, that's another political football you're going to kick around for the rest of the rest of the day as well. But um, let's talk about someone else's um, worst investments. Who wants to do it? Steve W? <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Um, yeah, I can talk about my worst <laughs> one for a moment then. So I'm going to bring us back where I started us then for a moment because my worst investment is uh, REIT. We've talked about bad investments we've made a couple of times, and I suspect... Uh, Two of the other people on this call were expecting me to say Boston Beer again, which perfectly deserving candidate of worst investment. Um, but the, here's kind of worst for a different reason. This is before I really got into investing, but I'd started doing some nebulous ideas of, I basically found out what a REIT was, at least in sort of broad structural terms, and thought, look, it's kind of a fairly straightforward business model. Find something that owns a bunch of flats or houses or whatever, rent them out to other people, collect the rent as dividends very roughly, uh, something along those lines. Um, and I didn't have access to a broker at that point and perhaps slightly precociously for me, resented the idea of paying fees to uh, just buy the damn stock, which you know, I'd stuck by that idea, to be honest. But then I found this kind of privately traded uh, REIT that's called Brick Lane uh, at the time. And what they own, duh, or still own to an extent, is basically a bunch of uh, residential stuff. So flats, they have these kind of two funds. One is in London and one is in what they call regional capitals, which is stuff like Birmingham and Manchester and Leeds and what have you. Uh, so I stuck a little bit of money into sort of both of these, thinking, oh, this is straightforward enough, right? Property market only goes up. Um, there's always demand for rental accommodation, especially flats, which are fairly low priced and so on. And that's about as far as I got with my uh, thinking on this. This is why it's a very bad investment. Um, I've had stocks that have gone down and I think I was unlucky. Stocks that have gone down, I think I deserved it. This was a really poor investment that I kind of got away with because after a while, I ended up being convinced by Steve to sell these things and stick the money in Bristol Myers Squibb instead, which did really well. So I sold it at a slight loss. But since then, um, we've had a 
the kind of fairly well documented Grenfell Tower uh, disaster. And this REIT that owns a bunch of flats has discovered that a lot of their stuff is cladding illegal. Um, so the, that's more or less completely collapsed uh, as a, a business. They are busy selling off the assets they have, trying to get them into a, a shape that they can legally be let to people um and more or less taking what they can get for them they picked up huge costs in doing that they're selling nearly everything at a loss and returning money to investors and shutting themselves down i've never actually had an investment that i've held go bankrupt while i was holding it uh, and that still isn't the case because i don't own this anymore but there's no way i foresaw anything like that coming right and it was just a basic basic bit of ah, oh, dump it all into property it's safe it's a re it'll pay dividends and so on and so mm. forth that's a pretty poor way of investing. And to be honest, if I got stung like this, I could have had no complaints because I did nearly no research into this thing in the first place. So that's a bad investment on my part that I sort of got away with, but it was very, very poorly done. Uh, when I look over my investing mistakes, I count that high on the list of them. Interesting. And But there was no way of you knowing that. Sometimes you've just got to chalk the L, right? Yeah, maybe, but there was things that I could and ought to have done to at least have got myself into a position to understand stuff about that rather than just sort of thinking. Mm. Uh, so there's stuff I agree that may well be outside the scope of uh, it's not my job to go and look at their cladding and discuss and check whether or not it's fire uh, proof or whatever the kind of relevant stuff is. But it is my job to have at least some vague idea of what the regulations around flats might even be, uh, which I didn't. Mm. So could I pose yeah, a question off enough, the back I of suppose. that? Like to you, if you feel uh, that that's your... On. If you feel that's your responsibility and your fault, like the regulations, etc., would you argue the people that invested in the Neil Woodford fund were at fault that they didn't understand that he was going outside of his mandate or that, you know, what was possible from an investment perspective? Because I feel like it's a similar argument, but I wouldn't say those people were at fault. So I'm not sure I think I was at fault for that bit specifically. It went wrong in a way that and I think I agree with Paul. I couldn't necessarily have sort of foreseen that particular bit going wrong. Point is, I did nothing at all uh, to foresee anything that even might uh, go wrong. So it right. could have gone wrong in a far, far more predictable way. And I could have had no complaints about that. Um, it, uh, people who invested in the Neil Woodford Fund, I can't speak very easily to how much looking into that they did. Um, I kind of feel like there's levels of... Um, dd that you're supposed to do and then there's levels that you're not um that would be for i guess them to tell you exactly what they knew mm. about it if they kind of just went yeah money money uh money quickly reasonably safely go um i i think i think that people need yeah. to do more dd than that interesting i mean i can say for my one uh that I, i've had plenty i can name off lows some would argue that right now i'm I have a few that people will say will never come back, and and they've you know they've got to be fifty percent down. But I I checked some of them today, and I listened to I've I've got a video of Peter Lynch, and I just kind of play it over and over again to check that I'm going through the list prof properly all the time. And it, and things like AT and T are still within um, a, a sound reading as far as that goes, which is, which is quite interesting. But Norris Nickel, which is currently down. I had a feeling this was going to go that way. Yeah. <laughs> Norris Nickel, it, which is currently down 77% and it's only down 77% because they suspended trading on it, uh, is, um, is probably what I think is, is my worst investment. And when we say worst investments with, when, like with what Steve's saying, it's not necessarily the amount that you've lost, but, the way you got into the stock 
and how that determined how the loss came. And I think it's the mistake and what we learn from, which is better. And my mistake on Norris Nickel is I bought it three or four days before the, they invaded Ukraine. I was, I was sat there. I knew it was happening. I knew, uh, uh the ukraine invasion was going to happen and i still invested in this company because i thought there was going to be some edge and this is what we call binary event we've already mentioned the binary event i was basing it on the fact that the last on the last day putin would turn around and not invest in it so norris nickel was is a very profitable business it still hasn't hasn't had any sanctions placed on it yet their ceo has not um died mysteriously falling out of a window so this business i know is still very very good behind the scenes it there's no sanctions they're still producing profit and they're still getting paid i know that but everything is frozen and i did this based on uh, and i think the price came down ridiculously it came down by like 30 40 percent and it led to like a 20 percent dividend yield with only uh, a 20 odd percent payout ratio what was that Nothing. What, what did you say? Was, Come on. There we what, go. What? <laughs> what? It, it was a twenty percent, twenty percent dividend. It wasn't just because of the dividend yield. Obviously, it was a high. It had a ridiculously high cash flow, and the dividend yield was was supported by a by a twenty three percent payout ratio, which was ridiculously good. And I had every reason to believe that these figures were correct. But uh, I was be I was betting on the price going up because Putin was going to turn around and say no. And that is where I went wrong with my investment in, in that one, because I thought that the investment was going to change once Putin backed out. And he fucking didn't. He didn't back out. He's just gone for it. And uh, unfortunately, I've temporarily at least lost a lot of money. I'm still hoping that one day this, this conflict is solved and all... Um, suspensions are lifted, all sanctions are lifted, but one day this will happen and it'll be a long old road, road back up for uh, nickel and palladium miners and things like that. But it doesn't help that, that California has stopped gasoline engines from uh, by the year, what is it, 2030 or something? You can't, you can't buy a gas car. So that's a sign of what the rest of the world is going to do. There's a, there's a lot of um, geopolitical risk to it uh and it's it's so far it's been my worst possible investment do you want me to do mine i think at least you Steve. so i've got i've got two really that i'll talk about quickly so one of mine is uh the, so there's a lot of risk when you you do an early stage investment so that was something i i was doing a couple of years ago i was looking for more risk uh there wasn't enough risk for me in the stock market so i was looking to take on some more and uh i went for um uh, as a young skincare company, uh, knowing nothing about skincare and taking no particular interest in looking after my own skin, uh, I decided I would um, invest into uh, a company called Be Good. And it's two E's in B because it's in the Buzzy Bee. And um, I was enticed by the fact that they had um, got themselves onto Waitrose.com, um, which, you know, seemed quite interesting to me. Um, I also realized, uh, now note that they're on Amazon.com, but like uh, literally anybody can do that. So uh, that's not yeah, a particularly Yeah, you can flog Pelotons uh, big, on there now, uh, can't you? Draw. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> the other thing that, like, the really red flag that I should have spotted, uh, but I was a... a 
a young, younger, younger, naive boy slamming money into crap that I knew nothing about. Uh, they mentioned they were high margin sales and they had uh, profits of 4,633. Well, it doesn't take you much working out to realize that at any profit margins, that's not an awful lot of money. Uh, they subsequently uh, went bust. Um, the other one I had is um, was Money Dashboard. And I don't know if any, any of you guys have used that. It's a fintech platform. I think we broke the story that ClearScore were, were buying them a few months ago. Well, ClearScore have bought them. They've bought them for pennies in the pound, and uh, that is money in the bin. And the um, the big problem with this is is that Money Dashboard. There was nothing wrong with Money Dashboard. The revenue had started to slow, but it is, the CEO had run out of stomach for it. Uh, and that's something you can't, um, you, you just can't pick that from looking through, you know, an investor presentation and listening to them talk. You you just can't, you know, you, you just you just can't know that the, the CEO is going to be gutless and want to get rid of it for pennies on the pound and, you know, basically shit on everyone's biscuits. But they were my two worst investments. They've both essentially gone bust. Do you know, from the money dashboard, I think I took 14p. I think that's what I got out of it. And the uh, the uh, the other one, be good. I I just lost the lot. So it, it did teach me is a, a publicly traded. This isn't one of your VC, is it? No, this is these are these are two VCs. So uh, oh yeah, they are VC. Yeah. They both went terrible, and uh, yeah, it taught me a lesson about CrowdCube and Cedars. I, I mean, I had a rant about them on Twitter only a month or so ago about how difficult it is to exit a stock on Cedars, even after it's listed on the Nasdaq. They're prepared to charge you ninety nine point seven percent fees or whatever it was it worked out to be um yeah they're they're a disgusting operation and i hope they go bust (laughs) that reminds me your first stock reminds me of that olaplex stock that's coming out which i was very tempted to to look at Uh, everyone was banging on about olaplex and uh invest like becky and all that sort of stuff uh down 58 percent. i was just checking uh just now so that uh dodged a bullet on that one um very interesting stocks that we've got there um very interesting lessons mainly down to circular competence binary events vc (laughs) and uh yeah it's just very um yeah it's it's very interesting that all, all our negative stocks have real reasons why the top investors tell you you're going to lose money if you invest in certain certain ways and we all know the best way to invest is uh fundamentals 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 basically and and look at it elsewhere but talking about uh vc companies uh particularly uh, particularly new fintechs and new brokers we do want to touch on this this whole war that's going on because there, we actually spoke about this quite quite a bit didn't we whether certain companies uh particularly our, our trading platforms that we use are gonna gonna float quite well and i think this came up because free trade have done another um dilution offering you guys will know a lot more about that than i do though i'll give you a really quick rundown because i'm sort of conscious we are towards the top end of our time um so we got an email through uh, free trade announcing their annual crowdfunding campaign um which is set to go live uh, early next week i think it is um so it's now an annual campaign because they've done it uh, every year since 2016 um there was a load of crap in there about how good the bull market's been and uh, they've had a 30 times multiple on their annual run rate uh, but now that's slowing they've had to take on convertible debt um from people we've never heard of uh, it looks like the in the companies that were originally interested in them are not so interested anymore um 
Yeah, there's some interesting stuff in there about them making tons of redundancies and cutting the marketing budget and still losing a million pound a month, which is pretty bad for a you know, company that raised eight million last year. Kind of tells you they don't have an awful lot of run rate there. They're obviously looking to take. Uh, they must be looking to take at least another eight million on to go with the thirty million they've raised in uh, convertible debt. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm I've long since told you that I'm not interested in free trade. I don't think they have a sustainable business model. I don't think they actually have a single redeeming feature that differentiates them from any other broker. And I think trading two on two, um, you know, eats their lunch uh, um, every opportunity. I don't think their, you know, trading two on two is the evil one narrative is going to stick anymore. I think they've really sort of politicized the, uh, the trading company, the investing company, um, debate and I, I don't think that washes with people anymore trading two on two is now fully open and i fully expect a lot of people to transfer in april that's interesting that you said the annual um vc event because that i, I know it's annual because they've previously did it every year but that means they're going to do it uh, suggest they're going to do it every year and it's like something we should we should be happy about um if when a company is is saying, oh, every year, by the way, we're going to ask for new new cash. Yeah, I'm not sure we should be happy about that, and I'm not sure they called it that. Um, it might well be the case that they do that in the future, but that does speak to the thought that we've expressed on this show a few times about dilution, I guess. A dilution hurts existing shareholders more than it hurts kind of joining shareholders, assuming they don't buy it at the wrong price, in which case it's bad for joining shareholders. But, I mean, if a company's been diluted seven times versus nine times versus 15 times or something in the past, all that matters to you is if you're joining now, whether they're going to continue to do that in the future. The debt stuff that Steve mentioned, which is convertible, that is your concern. Um, but I do kind of um, think about some of these kind of dilution points. We talk about sort of stock-based comp a lot with the, the US on this sort of thing. Joining once the dilution's finished is... is kind of fine it doesn't much matter to me how much dilution has gone on in the past i care about how things look sort of going going forwards in this case i mean free trade I'm, isn't something i'm particularly interested in investing in to my knowledge here but i also noted that things uh steve you pointed this out in chat for us things don't look amazing for another uk uh platform either specifically hargreaves lansdowne and i can't i gotta feel like they can't all lose can they what the hell are we gonna do i don't think hargreaves lansdowne's going anywhere i think um i, I think it's got enough witty toy people in there that are willing to pay 9.99 a share or uh, it is quite cheap to get in on their oiks and stuff like that so i don't think it is that bad and a lot of people will pay for premium that they, they, they will pay for security and safety so i don't think it's going to do that like it's not going bankrupt isn't it i don't think it's it's necessarily got any debt i don't it, know actually it's now the most shorted um brokerage on the footsie though and that is an interesting uh interesting little fact. Oh, interesting. I think five percent of its shares are now out short and the other thing um about hargreaves lansdowne is as you reminded us last uh, week paul you you showed us they're now uh, down with the kids offering select investors oh yeah one, that pissed me off. one free share um transaction yeah no, one free well. share commission huh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah like it it just it just didn't get me right it 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 just got me when that email came in I was like what what is their customer what do they think that their cust who do they think their customer is because it aimed at absolutely no one if you're aiming for your high end customer they don't give a crap about one free sh like they don't they don't give a crap about uh, saving eleven ninety nine but 
you, your low end customer is not going to and uh, not going to be happy with only saving nine ninety nine, eleven ninety nine, nine ninety, whatever it is. And it, it, that that really annoyed me. That did. And perhaps the reason why it's the most shorted stock on the FTSE is because um, most shorted broker on the FTSE is because it's this perceived as this dinosaur company. It's it's really they're they're locked in a cage and they they are not seeing what's going on outside of of the uh of their own little bubble that they're in i was just annoyed by this because i'm also an hl customer and i didn't get a free offer of a share of a commission free trade into anything it's just for special people like paul who have more money with them than i do i by the way since then have transferred my lighter out in process have you? <laughs> yeah <laughs> thing is is that uh, H- hl are, they're being ignorant to the customers because they've just been in a bull market where trading volumes have been exceptionally high and they've also been recipient of that i wonder just yeah. how high how high those trading volumes are going to continue to be and whether they're going to continue to see the little bits of um growth that you know they, they used to expect or whether they're going to start to see uh, a decline in their trading volumes overall and they need something to put the frightness on them because yes, when every time we say H and L is too expensive, we have somebody in the comments telling us they've found a specific worker workaround to buy something cheaper. But the fact of the matter is, for the vast majority of people, it costs an extortionate amount of money to buy anything on H and L. For the vast majority of the time, you can buy it cheaper elsewhere. So what is the point? I wonder if they're being intentionally ignorant or whether they really do think that they've got some kind of superiority complex here. But because I, I just don't see why um, anybody would. I understand the safety angle of H and L, but you know, there's a lot of people out here now telling you five percent of those stocks are out short, saying that they think the value of this company is is going to go down and going to go down pretty significantly. Um, so you know, how safe how safe is it going to be with a crashing share price? Damien, I think you, I feel like you had something you were going to say. Then no, I mean, I know I know some contractors who work at HL, um, high paid, seven hundred and fifty, trying to figure out the back end because it's a mess there as well. I can't say too much, but essentially the business, oh, the business tech wise is light years behind some of these new brokers, and I do th- I do think that's important for a lot so of investors as well. Yeah, sorry, just buy buy one of the brokers. Yeah, that that is that is an yeah. answer. But they they seem to you know like a lot of these um, yeah change management is like a big thing there. Paying seven fifty a day for change managers to come in and basically try and get them unravel these big balls of problems that they've got where they're on all these different systems that are just not communicating. So from my perspective, it seems expensive mm. going to the customer and a real mess from the back end. So I, I, I don't know. I'm not bullish on HL. You can tell just by their app how how bad they are mm. for for that. And it, I did wonder if they, you know, they are leaning on that legacy. They're leaning on that trust um, brand mm. thing because because it is it is the big thing. Uh, you know, even people of the similar age to me when I was starting getting invested, the reason why I started with H and L is because they told me that that's what their dads used and that was like the the best one sort of thing it wasn't until i started having a little bit of a read where i realized that everyone was getting ripped off and it it was just uh, it was just not a smart place for me to be at that time um other people though it still might be that peace of mind and i understand that that peace of mind that that company is has been around for a long time and it's going to be around a long time because my worry next and i didn't want to bring it to trading two one two too much but uh my worry next and i think i discussed it with you guys off off air at some point um the, the, we're entering in, entering into a market where trading volumes are going to go down 
interest in trading and investing is a lot lower we will people will have seen that from a lot of people's uh youtube views and you've seen all these mad investors that were investing in loads of hype stocks have all just disappeared my god i, tra I checked one that was famous on the discord the other day uh i didn't actually check it my missus was checking it at the time and she's just like he used to get like hundred thousand views a video and now he's getting 800 views a video and i was thinking Oh my God, the, the, the trading world and that hype world has really collapsed. And I wonder how much of the investments or the, that, that whole ethos was based around trading 212, if those customers are still there and if they're still investing. And does that make it, you know, does that bring CFD volumes down? Does that bring uh, share dealing volumes, uh, share dealing, uh, share lending volumes down? Does that, th does that cause a bit of a problem there? And I do worry that in April or December or January or whenever they want to release their next set of accounts, it's going to show quite a slowdown in growth now i i don't worry about that because of the share price because there isn't a share price and there barely anyone has anything invested in trading 212 uh a big benefit of that is that they have kept their vc very in-house and they don't have any debt that was great and obviously the revenues are quite big as well like i think it was like 52 million last time last time we checked but that likely to be lower i think the whole sector is going to be lower we're going to see what's happened to hargreaves lansdowne and ig and etoro i think we are going to see that come down a little bit which is then could it lead to a lot of crazy videos saying that trading 212 is going bust and is that going to lead to an outgoing of a lot of customers and i do kind of worry about that that is my only little bit of worry is that customers will flood out as soon as uh people start getting worried and that growth slows because we had the bumper year and it's going to be tough comps i don't know if that made a lot of sense and if i spoke too quickly on that one but do you guys have a view on that I hear the view. So I hear the worry. The worry makes sense to me, right? We're on the kind of customer side of these things. And okay, we don't care about it from a share price perspective. We don't even really care about it from a business perspective. All that we care about is it going to be here long enough. Um, this is something I don't worry about massively because last time I looked, and this may well be a couple of years ago now at 212's balance sheet, um, this is a phrase that we overuse in investing. I got the impression it wasn't going anywhere. Uh, and I mean that positively in this case. Uh, if it doesn't go anywhere, that's fine. I could just do with it still being there. Um, there were worries around 212, and this goes into the kind of bucket with them, I think, about what happens if the thing collapses, what happens to all my shares, and do I lose all my money, and all that kind of thing again. Um, and this is something that Steve did a pretty good job fighting um, panic fires uh, on about a year and a half ago, I think, when the stuff about share lending kind of came into um prominence and he explained in much clearer terms than i can that it's probably going to be fine even if 212 goes bust your shares are all held somewhere else um you're likely to get your money back right steve well essentially share and share ownership at the moment is a bit like spin the bottle so the everything is held centrally uh, especially american shares all held in a big dtcc seed and co um essentially account and all they do is point the bottle at you as the owner and then when you sell it to me they just turn the bottle and point it to you there is really we are in a, uh, a sort of digital ownership structure where you know you know you don't physically own anything and you'll be happy about it but if it came to a brokerage going bust um 
uh, they essentially will fill out a different um, a different bankruptcy form that uh, a normal company would uh, fill out. The assets are separated from their own assets, so technically they uh, there should be no claim on them, and it'll just be a case of you know spinning that bottle back to you at the new uh, the the new brokerage whoever chooses to take it on which was something like trading 212 when they essentially run off IB, uh, IBKR's API uh, everything is held by uh, an IBKR partner institution you would assume should trading 212 go bust that everybody would just get grandfathered onto IBKR because it'd be so much easier uh, and less hassle and uh, any shortfall in the accounts that is when shares are in transit being lent can't be recovered whatever happens the likelihood is that the F SCS would pick up the shortfall um, on those accounts. That's essentially how share ownership works in the UK at the moment. It's just a lot We're through an hour and 15 there, so <laughs> I reckon we have about 45 minutes of unusable content. Do you want to wrap it up for us, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Damien, thank you very much for Damien coming, Cheers, coming Damien. today and have, having, having, no, a sorry, lot of, uh, having a big chat with us and uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry for getting so political and probably dropping you in the ship. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to lose a lot of subscribers. Um, oh, I think my battery just died as well. So you've probably still got my audio, but that's me out. So yeah, <laughs> Yay. Uh, thank you very much for watching, everybody. And, God. and we'll see you next week. <laughs>